You're listening to Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church of Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net. And thanks for joining us. Yeah, we come together here. I welcome those of you online when you're watching this. Thanks. Love you, pretty wife. You're out there somewhere. I... I remember back as a boy, about the age of these kiddos here, in my Uncle Truman's living room, in the evenings, we'd get a bunch of people together. The women inevitably back in the kitchen doing whatever women do in the kitchen, mostly talking. And the men would gather, and I remember I was probably like four years old when I went from the kitchen to the living room where the men were. That was a huge promotion. List these men. And what they were doing was telling stories. Because there in the Ozarks of Missouri, where I spent the first part of my childhood, it was a storytelling capital of the world. I'm convinced of it. And I remember some of those stories even now. I remember the story of my grandfather. Somebody was telling why his farm was so well kept. And the answer was he had to be example to the entire neighborhood for him to be the preaching elder at his church. Because if his farm wasn't good, who would listen to him in the church? And that spoke deeply to me now as an old man. I remember my, another story about my grandfather who was back in, the, in his field doing hard work, dirty farm work. Uh, this is long before a day of air-conditioned tractors and that sort of thing. And somebody came to see him and came back to where he was working there on the farm and said, uh, Ezra, we'd, we'd like to get married. He knew them. He knew it was legit. I said, sure, just a minute. He walked up to the house, washed his hands and face, put on a clean pair of coveralls, clean pair of overalls, and did the wedding right there in his living room. You know, be ready to serve the Lord no matter where you are or what you're doing. And those stories are deep in my, inside my spirit and many, many, many others. Because stories touch deep. And that's what we're looking at here today as we Look into God's words together in Matthew chapter 13. You can go there on wherever you're at. We'll put up on the screen as well. Matthew chapter 13 is Jesus beginning a section of parables. That same day Jesus went, uh, well, we'll start down, let's start down verse 10. The Because next week, next week, Sean will be here talking about the parable of soils that begins this story. Verse 10, the disciples came to him and said, why do you speak to these people in parables? He replied, because the knowledge of the secret of the kingdom of heaven has been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even which they have will be taken from them. This is why I spoke to you in parables. And then he quotes Psalm 78. Through seeing they do, though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not understand. In them is filled the prophecy of Isaiah, you will ever be hearing and never understanding, you will ever seeing but never perceiving, for this people's heart is calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see, understand with their, hear with their ears, see with their eyes, understand with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. And skipping down to verse 16, but blessed are your eyes because they see, your ears because they hear. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see, but did not see it, 
to hear what you hear, but not hear it. Now skipping down to 36, 34. Jesus spoke all these things to the crowd in parables. He did not say any to them without using a parable. So was fulfilled, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things hidden since the creation of the world. This is the word of the Lord for us to ponder here in our time together. Why parables is what we're saying. Well, first of all, we need to ask, and you online, the notes are available, gracecc.net forward slash notes, and you can, or down at the bottom of the web page or the app. What is a parable? Well, short thing is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. It's an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, or another way of saying it, these are simple stories from daily life that carry God's truth. That's what a parable is. They're not just stories, they're more than that. But when I think of parables, I inevitably think of Aesop's fable. You all know what this one is, don't you? Even if you haven't seen the Disney, what is it? That's the hare and the tortoise. And what's, I mean, you all know the story. I hope they're still teaching that in school. Uh, and what's the story? Challenge to a race, and what does the hare say? You ain't got a chance, kid. And he gets arrogant, and the tortoise wins. The race is not always to the swift. And that story sticks because it's a simple story that carries a big meaning. My favorite parable is from C.S. Lewis. It's the Space Trilogy. I just reread it just recently. In its three books, I mean, it's amazing. Out of the Silent Planet, Paralandra, and That Hideous Strength. And it's a story, it's really the biblical story put in an incredible parable, and Ransom is the Christ figure that works all the way through the story. It's so powerful, and the truths are so epic and so gripping because in a story form. That's what we talk about with a parable. This is a biblical parable. David, as you remember, had this little episode with Bathsheba, like he brought her in, raped her, then killed her husband to make an excuse, and I mean, all kinds of stuff. Oh my gosh. And everybody's done, and he's done, he's happy, but God is not. And God sends Nathan with a parable. And it's a simple story. There were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man, he had nothing except one little ewe lamb that he had bought. He raised it, it grew up with him and his children, it shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. Man, you get it. Traveler came to a rich man, but the rich man refrained from taking away his own sheep or cattle, and he had plenty, remember, to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he took the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and prepared it for the one who had come to him. And immediately said, what the heck? And David burned with anger. Oh, surely as the Lord lives, that man must die. He must pay for the lamb four times over because he did it in such a thing. He had no pity. And then Nathan drives it home. You're the man. Powerful, powerful, gripping story that pierced deep into David's heart. And he ended up confessing and repenting of his horrible sin. That's what parables do. They, they grab you. They're thought-provoking. They're curiosity-stimulating. And they always demand some sort of a response. That's what parables, what stories do. And that's the function of parables in Scripture, is to grab your attention, make you ponder, 
draw you in and it makes some sort of a judgment on the situation and then there's some sort of comparison to your own life as well. That's what a parable is. What is a parable? But the disciples say, why do you teach in parables? And me being who I am, why don't you just give them a nice outline with blanks to fill in and they learn a lot better, Jesus. I mean, why waste your time on stories? They take so much time. Be more efficient. I don't know what the disciples thought, but it occurs to me. Why parables? Why stories? Why with the crowds here? And the simple answer is this. The parables reveal the heart of God, powerfully, as we saw in Nathan's story. And they also reveal the heart of the person who hears it. Because that response speaks to the character of their heart. And the parable of soils that precedes it, that Sean will teach us next week, is talking about the four different kinds of soil and the response that the seed gets depending on the nature of the soil. So the response to a parable shows the character of your heart. That's why David, a man after God's own heart, responded with deep repentance to Nathan's parable. This is Psalm 78. This is one that Jesus quotes in Matthew 13, 34. My people hear my teaching. This is God speaking. My people hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter mysteries and things from old. That's what Jesus quotes. He's going to speak in parables to reveal himself Things we've heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. A parable? Well, that's something that compels the hearer to form a judgment in the situation of the story, but then on himself, his times, and his situation, and his conduct. That's what parables do. They're not just mindless stories. They're, they're there for a point. That's a parable. He says, I'll utter mysteries. And that's a technical term in scripture. And what you see in a mystery is matters that can only be known as God reveals it. They're not mysteries like a mystery story that you ferret out by shrewd deduction. Mysteries in scripture are things that, are, that you can only know when God reveals them to. And of course, the point of our God is he reveals a lot of things to us. And his point is to make an impact, a change in our life. Things we've told us. So that's what a parable is. Then he goes on like this. We will not hide them from our descendants. People are saying, we'll not hide these mysteries, these things God has revealed from our descendants. We'll tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of our Lord, his power, his wonders he has done, which we love to do. Why would they do that? Here's the reason. Why do you do parables? Then they would put their trust in God, would not forget his deeds would keep his commandments, they would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn, rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. So you see the two groups. You see the rebellious people who throw it away. You see the soft heart people who receive it. And that's what the point of parable is. That's Psalm 78. That's why God speaks in parables, stories, so we remember who he is and what he does and the character who he is. So parables intrigue and draw good soil people, responsive people, and they bring him to ponder. What is this about? They inquire further. Could you explain what that means? I'm, I'm interested. I see something significant drawing me in. And they discover God's message because the parable grips them. The surface meaning of a parable is so clear nobody can miss it. The depth of a parable is it's bottomless. 
It just invites you to keep going deeper and deeper because it ties into all kinds of stuff here. Matthew 13, Jesus left the crowd and he said, explain to us the parables of the weeds in the field. This is a later parable. See, that's what good soil people do. They come and say, okay, uh, help me. I want to see more. I'm intrigued by what I see, but what else does that mean? Good soil people respond with pondering, inquiring, and asking because I want to see more that's here. You're given a little bit. It draws you into the depths with more and more. That's what parables do, just like the stories I grew up with as a boy. So the other side, good soil people, they're intrigued and they want to know more. Hard soil people, however, the parables annoy them, anger them, perplex them, and they drive them to become even harder and blinder because when they reject it, they're rejecting God's truth. Hard soil people. Soft soil people, they want to know more. Hard soil people, they, they growl. An example, an example, Pharisees. Matthew 21, Jesus tells a parable. It's a parable of a landowner planted a vineyard, put a wall around it, dug wine press, built a watchtower, then he rented the vineyard to some farmers and moved to another place. And he sends envoy after envoy, and the people who have leased the farm kill the envoys. Finally, he says, I'll send my son. They surely won't ignore him, and they kill him. And here's the thing. The Pharisees recognized that parable's about us. So they recognize the truth of the parable, they recognize the point of the parable, and their response to it is, what do you think, good soil, soft soil, hard soil? Yeah, hard soil. They're the serious ah people. So they look for a way to arrest him and kill him. See, they understand the parable cognitively. They see it's about them. It angers them and annoys them, and they respond, I'm going to kill you. That's hard soil people. Now, we're going to dig in a bit here, okay? Fasten your seatbelts. We're going to go in a bit because there's all kinds of biblical background. One of these is Pharaoh. Pharaoh's the king of Egypt. He's the guy who has enslaved the people and become a genocidal maniac. God sends Moses and Aaron to call him to repent. And we're picking up in the middle of the story just because it's, it's multiple chapters. Aaron stretched out his hand with the staff and struck the dust of the ground and gnats came on the people and the animals. You like gnats? Anybody here sympathetic toward gnats? No, nobody likes gnats. Well, see what's happening? God does powerful miracles because the dust turns into gnats. Now, how many of you can turn dust into gnats? Nobody? Remember, the magicians of Pharaoh can turn staffs into serpents. They can make frogs. But guess what? They couldn't make gnats. Now, how can you make frogs and not gnats? I don't know. Their gods are powerful, but they ran out of it. The magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. See what happens. The magicians, these are professional miracle workers, say they honor Yahweh. Pharaoh, this is like, okay, pay attention. This God is powerful. The magicians honor Pharaoh. Pharaoh? Well, Pharaoh's heart was hard, and he would not listen to the Lord had said. You see here, the Pharaoh's hard heart blinds him. 
and he would not let the people go. In rejecting that is what happens, hard-hearted people reject things. The story goes on. Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confer Pharaoh when he goes to the river and say to him, this is what the Lord says, let my people go so they may worship me. Okay, so what's happening here is God is calling Pharaoh again to righteousness. Honor me because I'm Lord of the universe. He's calling Pharaoh to honor him. He's calling Pharaoh to honor Yahweh by calling him to righteousness. God is not speaking condemnation to him, he's speaking calling to righteousness. And, critical here, he's forcing Pharaoh to make a decision. Pharaoh cannot ignore God. He won't let him ignore him. So he can either be good soil, yes, bad soil, no. That's what he thinks is gonna happen. Though he's Pharaoh after all. The Lord did this. Dense swarms of flies poured in the Pharaoh's palace. The houses of officials throughout the Egyptian land was ruined by the flies. Yikes. So here we go. Yahweh's doing powerful miracles. You can't ignore that. Pharaoh summoned Moses and said, go. Sacrifice to your God here in the land. Hard heart, soft heart. Hard heart, soft heart. He softens his heart. Pharaoh softens his heart and obeys Yahweh. Go worship. There's a bit of negotiation about where they will do it. And Pharaoh said, I'll let you go offer sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, but you must not go very far. Now, note what he says. Pray for me. Pray for me. He's recognizing the power of Yahweh and responding to it. He's honoring Yahweh. This is Pharaoh. Can he honor Yahweh? Yes, he does. He does. Pray for me, he says. He's asking Moses to pray for him. So Moses left, prayed for the Lord. The Lord did Pharaoh. Moses asked, flies left Pharaoh and his official people, and not a fly remained. Gosh, here we go again. Another powerful thing, another powerful miracle. In response to Pharaoh's prayer, He's answering Pharaoh's prayer. Now, Pharaoh, believer in Yahweh? No, no. Good guy or bad guy? Bad guy. And God answers his prayer because that's the kind of who God is. But, but, when there's relief, Pharaoh hardened his own heart. So he's back and forth and would not let the people go as God had said. Pharaoh hardened his own heart. God forces him to decide. You don't have an option when God invades your life. You will respond. And what happens in the story here, as Pharaoh continues to reject Yahweh's call to righteousness, he is habituating his rejection. He is habituating the hardness of his heart, and he gets harder and harder until the story ends with Pharaoh's death. You see what's happening. That's how God hardens Pharaoh's heart, forcing him to decide, and the character of his heart gets harder and harder because he's a hard-souled guy. And that's what it says in chapter 10, go to Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart. How did you do that? 
by forcing him to decide. To decide. It's not that Pharaoh couldn't say yes. He did, and he will again after this. How about Isaiah? Because this is what Jesus quotes, is Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah chapter 6. This is after God appears to Isaiah, the thrice holy God appears to him. Isaiah falls down, woe is me, for I'm a man of unclean lips, and I serve a people of unclean lips. Yahweh comes and cleanses him with a burning coal. But to put this in context, we have to actually go back to Isaiah chapter 1, to the theme verse of the whole book. The first 10 verses, God talks about the, well, really the first 16 verses, God talks about the horrors of the sin of the people of Israel. And then he says, I would that you would honor the widow and the orphan and stop doing injustice. And then he calls them, come, he says. Let us reason together. Let's think about it. Though your sins are as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they're red like crimson, they will be like wool. What's he saying? There's, you can change. He's calling a decision. He's calling a decision. He said, if you are willing and obedient, you'll eat the best of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. Now, what's God doing here? God is forcing a decision. God is forcing a decision. You can't ignore God when he invades your life. You have to respond. What is God's desire? What is God's desire? Well, that they be willing and obedient, because he wants them to eat the best of the land. What's God's expectation? His expectation is, at least for most of the people, that if you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. See, and that's that enigma, because he's calling to righteousness. Now, in chapter 6, after cleansing Isaiah, he says, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And Isaiah, who was on his face in abject shame over his sin, I think is now up like a little boy, jumping up and down, says, let me do it, let me do it. He nominates himself for the job to be Yahweh's spokesman. And Yahweh responds like this. Go tell this people. He's commissioning Isaiah. Be ever hearing but never understanding. Be ever seeing but never perceiving. Now the question is, what are they hearing? What are they hearing from Isaiah? They're not hearing this, not first. What they're hearing first is, come let us reason together. See, the message of the prophet Isaiah, first of all, is come, let's reason together. It doesn't have to be like this. If you're willing and obedient, you're the best of the land. If you resist and rebel, you'll be devoured by the sword. What does Yahweh expect from most of the people of Israel? Well, he expects the never understanding. He's expecting the hard soil, hard heart rejection. And indeed, that's what happens with many. Make the heart of his people callous, make their ears dull, close their eyes. He's forcing them to decide 
just like he did Pharaoh. This is the irony. He's treating Israel like he treats Pharaoh. And what happens in their repeated rejection is they're habituating their hardness. It's not God unilaterally hardening their heart. It's God's call to righteous repentance and their repeated rejection that's making them calloused and dull because the more you say no, the harder the heart gets. It's just like in a marriage. I'm working with one marriage right now that the husband has gone total hard heart. Valentine's Day, last Sunday, the wife, who's working hard to try to save their marriage, made two presents for her husband who wasn't home. He was coming home on Sunday morning last week. One of the, both of the presents sitting on the kitchen table there were presents that she had used their 18-month-old son, you know, the handprint on the cup and that sort of thing. Just amazing, beautiful little things representing their son, who is a product of their union, and a Valentine's Day card with her husband's name written on it and three hearts around the name. He came in, saw the card, turned his chair away from it, and would not even look at them. He's so habituated in his hardness. Now, did she harden his heart? Well, I mean, to be sure, she had gotten into a bad space and gotten really critical. But no, she'd make everything she could to call him. Wait, come back hard heart. And the more it's habituated, the harder it gets. But see, those say, otherwise, this is the other possibility. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand the hearts and turn and be healed. That's Yahweh's preferred option. And the thing, as you read the story, some do. Some do respond. Some do stop their unrighteousness and respond to Yahweh, but many do not. That's what Jesus is quoting. That's what Jesus is saying. He's calling them, making things clear, so simple they can't miss the point to bring God's story into their lives. And to the disciples, he said, Blessed are your eyes see and hear. I true you many prophets long to see what you see, because he's revealing the, the secrets of Yahweh. Now, homework for those who have the notes, go check out what Israel does. We won't do it here this morning. Matthew 13, why do you speak in parables? He said, the mysteries, now what are mysteries? Those are things you can only know as God reveals it. What are the mysteries? That the kingdom has come, that Messiah is here. That's the mystery that's being revealed. Whoever has more will be given. Now to whom is the, are the mysteries given? They're given to soft heart people who inquire and ask for more. To you, and of course the disciples have it, they're already following Jesus, they've already had several stories prior to this. You've got the advanced level stuff. What I'm doing is now putting in parables, base level stuff, because they don't have the advanced knowledge. They've only the basics. They still need to make their basic decisions, so I put it in parables. So disciples are given the mysteries of the kingdom, and more will come, because God wants to give his stuff to people. But you've got to be receptive. But see, the hard heart people, the hard heart people, they don't get the special stuff. They don't get it. Why? Because they're like Pharaoh. Because they're like Israel. They're rejecting the goodness of God. And there comes a spot when God will call you, but he won't give you the blessings. He won't give you the special stuff. He won't give you the family inside. Not because he doesn't want to, 
because you won't receive it. See, that's what we talked about last week when we talked about the unforgivable sin. The unforgivable sin is, I don't need you, God. I will not let you forgive me. That's the unforgivable sin, as we talked about last week. It's not that God doesn't want to. It's that they won't receive it. What a sadness. What a sadness that hard-heart people will not receive the beauties of the Lord Jesus Christ. Worship team, if you want to come back up here, we're going to sing in just a minute. The question I want to ask you, all of you, here in the room and you online, because it's true for all of us, do God's stories, do God's truths provoke my curiosity and make me say, I want to know more. I want to dig into this. Do they stimulate my imagination? Do I find myself responding to it in the depths of my... See, that's what... A, that's what for soft-heart people, I've got to know more about this. For soft-heart people. And the question is, am I willing to change my life in response to God's call? Because he continues to call. I'm an old man, I've been following Jesus for a long time, and he continues to stimulate me and say, Gary, you've got to make a decision. You really do. Whom shall I send? Who will go for me? God said to Isaiah. But he says it to us too. Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? The Lord is calling us here. Those are Jesus' followers. Whom shall I send? Isaiah's response is, here am I, send me. See, and that same call comes to us. This is a picture from The Chosen. I'm really enjoying that series. Come follow me. And see, a part of what Jesus is doing, he's calling us to follow him, and that is to tell the good news of the kingdom. That God is here, that forgiveness is available through Jesus Christ, that restoration, cleansing of shame. I just talked to a woman yesterday who was so, so, this is a woman I know well, so bound up in her shame she wouldn't even respond to my texts until just a few days ago. And we had a conversation yesterday after Jacqueline's service. It was profound because we could pray for God to take her shame away. That's what Jesus does is take shame away. Many of us were in this auditorium yesterday, uh, Friday, for Grant's service. Grant Fisher, 23 years old, evil death. There are tragic deaths. Jacqueline's is tragic because of COVID and cancer. Grant's was evil. And we sat in here and had a worship service that was just unbelievable. Sarah was just telling me this morning, what happened to you when Caitlin, the 23-year-old widow, holding four-month-old Ella Grace, and you had to sing, I'll sing a hallelujah, as she's sitting there holding her baby, her hand in the air, worshiping the memorial of her dead husband. Who can do that? That's what Jesus does. If you've not watched that service, go back and watch it. I mean, it's an incredible service. I was at a service of a, Jeff and I were talking about, I was a service of an unbeliever, psychologist friend of mine. I was sitting across the table for another psychologist friend of mine, and it was empty because people could not grieve the death of their, because there's no hope. See, Jesus brings hope. 
And my call to you right now is, will you be an Isaiah? Will you take the good news of forgiveness of sin, honor for shame, cleansing for defilement, hope for despair to people? And the thing is, will you do the work to tell the Jesus story, that he's Emmanuel come in the flesh? Will you do the work of telling that he's come to die for forgiveness of sin? Will you do the work to tell how he's risen to bring his life into the place of death, to bring hope into the place of despair, to tell the Jesus story? But see, the other side is you have to tell my Jesus story. Because you've got to tell Jesus' story, but you've got to tell what it means to me because it's got to be made personal because that's the parable that brings people to decide. And that's my call to you as I think here this morning. God is saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us to tell a despairing, anxiety-ridden world that there's hope, there's forgiveness, there's cleansing, there's Jesus, because his kingdom has come. Let's sing about that kingdom. Life, our lives are a parable. I mean, just our life is a parable, a story that demands response from people. Sarah, you talked about John Dale, Big John. He was a worship leader back in the day before, was it diabetes invaded his body and ruined it? They cut off all kinds of stuff off of him. And we had our prayer circles back there and he would, before service, he'd be there early just so he could pray with us because as a worship leader, he, he, he understood us understood you in particular, I think. I loved his prayers because his body was totally ruined. He dealt with pain horribly. He got an infection in one of his legs while he was here and we talked about it. And he wouldn't really say what the pain was. But the worship of God just came through. It exuded through him. In fact, his caretakers at the facility he was in in here, what, three weeks ago was it? He was here, back there. And I saw him. Of course, I went over and we were doing, he had missed the prayer circle already. I came back and just joshed with him a little bit because he had a great sense of humor. And just said, John, I so appreciate your spirit of worship in hard circumstances. He said, it's about Jesus. See, his life is a parable. His words are a parable. That's what for all of us both the actions and the words to help hopeless people find hope. So you can be a John Dale or Caitlin and the whole Patrick and Friends, uh, Fisher family or the Jacqueline family from yesterday. We've got a hope. And the narrative of the world is Christianity is an oppressive organization just producing guilt in people. See, that's a lie but it resonates with hard-hearted people. We have to take the kindness, the grace, the hope of Jesus Christ into a hard heart world and by our kindness and love and service help them say, huh. Or maybe it's by the exuberant worship of a 23-year-old widow or a 50-something-year-old man who can bring the hope of Jesus into awful situations. Or maybe you're like me. Life is really good. You still seek the hope of Jesus by going into those hard places and sharing the grief. Phil Johnson, another guy who's been in our congregation, died of COVID here just a week ago. And I'll be over tomorrow afternoon with his family. Debbie's a good friend. 
Aaron Woodard, Johnson Woodard, and I'll go into the place of grief and share it with them so I can be prepared to do the homily at their memorial, John, at his memorial just a, a few days from now. Father, thank you that you loved us enough not to give up on us, that you keep calling. You said, Isaiah, keep proclaiming the message of hope and repentance until the, the end. We want to be like that. Give us, Holy Spirit, the power to see those hard places in us where we do not respond because we're still hard-hearted in some places. Holy Spirit, search us, know us, know our thoughts. Find those wicked places in us and lead us in the way everlasting. Teach us to be soft-hearted in every part of our being. For those who are listening who do not know him, Lord, Holy Spirit, convict them, sow them. There's hope. There's forgiveness. There's cleansing because of Jesus, our Lord. And it's your name, Lord Jesus, you who died, rose, exalted, and poured out the Spirit. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Go change the world with the parable of Jesus. Thank you for joining us for Sermon Audio from Grace Community Church here in Gresham, Oregon. For more information about service times and ways to follow us online, please go to gracecc.net. That's gracecc.net.